Well, I'm going to try and express this half-formed idea I've been playing with in the last few days, so I hope I can sound vaguely coherent, because I haven't really tried to explain it out loud yet. I was trying to tie together, I wasn't trying to, it just came together in my mind, this um, polyvagal theory stuff. Uh, All my readings on food and nutrition and and other things that I've been doing lately, especially involving carnivore and oxalates and now thiamine or B1, and a book that I'm reading by Guy Claxton, and it's called Hairbrain Tortoise Mind. And it talks about the difference between what he calls demode thinking, which is cognitive thinking, problem solving, um, logic, thinking, speaking, being, doing in a way that you can explain to someone else in a way that's clear to you what you're doing mentally, that you're aware of, as opposed to what he calls the undermined beneath your, beneath your mind, is kind of unconscious well it is unconscious you're unaware of it and it's that thing you do when you've been mulling over a problem and you kind of set it aside and stop thinking about it and then you just let it ferment in the background and then the solution just pops up because your undermind has been working on it Or it's that feeling when something's on the tip of your tongue and you just cannot recall it and you give up and you just forget about it and let your undermind do its thing and then the word just pops up. And it's a process that takes place beneath the surface. It's not under voluntary control much. It is a little bit because you can kind of give it an instruction, you can prime it, you can say, I would like to have the answer to this problem, but I'm not going to think about it. And then kind of, it's like you're entrusting one of your workers to go off and work on a task, but you're not actually supervising them or micromanaging them, you're trusting them to come up with the answer. And sure enough, your undermined does come up with the answer. So it's kind of got a voluntary component, but kind of not. And then that with the idea of the polyvagal theory where essentially what I took from that is the idea that I must trust my autonomic system. I must trust the unconscious parts of me, the physiology, the biochemistry to do its thing because when I overly try to control that, and I insist on not listening to the messages that say there's a threat, or I insist on denying myself the fact that I don't want to be around a certain person, or pretending to listen to a podcast when really I'm stressing about having to sell the car. When I'm not really allowing that part of me that knows best to do its thing, and I'm trying to micromanage and control it, then I'm fighting myself. I'm not allowing that part to be at its best. I'm obscuring it. And it is very much like micromanaging a person. It's very much like parents who are constantly hovering around small children and the minute they put their foot up on the branch of the tree, they jump in and say, no, don't climb the tree, it's dangerous, rather than let the child experience for itself 
what it feels like to climb the tree or to try and climb the tree or to fail to be able to climb the tree or whatever it is that's going to happen next is thwarted so that child is robbed of a learning experience. And that ties in with the reading about carnivore oxalates and thiamine because when I first listened to the podcasts about the carnivore diet, which was mostly Paul Saladino and Michaela Peterson and um, Zofia Clemens. And the way they all spoke about it, I resonated with everything they said. I felt like, oh my God, this is what I've been looking for. This explains this symptom, it explains that symptom, it explains all my patients and how their health is. It explains everything. I'm going to do it. And so I had have done it and am still on the carnivore diet. It's four and a half weeks now. Um, and then I discovered there was such a thing as oxalate dumping that can happen to you on the carnivore diet and that may be the explanation for the diarrhea and the fluey feelings that some people get. And I kind of put it aside because I was busy and I didn't have time to look into it. And then the last couple of days I've spent obsessing over this oxalate thing and it totally explains it so as I said I got this reaction on day five of being carnivore where I had not only diarrhea but I also felt very weak physically I couldn't really bear the thought of going for a walk I wanted to just be in bed reading and be left alone mood wise I was kind of in a in a blank state I was kind of depressed and anxious but also kind of indifferent um couldn't think straight and had this fluey feeling like my body was aching, my muscles were aching and uh, as if I had a fever, but I don't think I really did. And then um, I've had it a couple of times since then, but I noticed that when I had it and then I had one lapse where I ate a meal at um, grilled, so I had chips, fried in vegetable oil, I had a burger, the bun was paleo, it was made of coconut flour um, and there was lettuce and possibly cheese and pineapple and a tomato, so that was my lapse. The minute I had that meal, all those symptoms went away and it was really dramatic. Um, so that was interesting and that's happened um, twice since then because a week later I had another lapse and a week later I had another lapse. There were very tiny lapses. I mean, one was four little gherkins and the other one was like two carrot sticks and a piece of fennel uh, with and a bit of parsley. So there weren't big lapses, but they, they stopped the symptoms that had been coming back. Anyway, I found out that that most likely is caused by oxalate dumping. So high oxalate foods are all the foods which... If you're in the paleo or keto sphere, are touted as healthy alternatives to the grains and the legumes, etc. So, what we're given as this ideal in the keto and paleo world is, you know, all the high quality meats, of course, but then also masses of salads and masses of vegetables, enormous quantities of all sorts of vegetables, and raw a lot and smoothies, green smoothies, and nut, nuts to replace everything, nut flours, nut butters, nuts in smoothies. So it turns out that spinach is incredibly high in oxalates, almonds are fantastically high in oxalates, cinnamon, turmeric, black tea, green tea, 
Um, chocolate, cacao, especially dark chocolate, the more high percent of cacao it is, the higher in oxalates it is. So all these things that as soon as I went paleo and then keto, I tripled my consumption of, and so did lots of other people, are very, very high in oxalates. And oxalates are actually one of those food substances or plant substances which don't have any kind of hormetic effect, don't have any kind of benefit. They are purely and simply a toxin. But we're equipped to handle toxins and we can deal with oxalates. We have kidneys that, um, that there's soluble oxalates the kidneys get rid of and there's insoluble oxalates that just go out in your poo and then you also get rid of them through sweat and tears and other ways. So we can handle oxalates. It's just that we can't handle more than a certain amount. And so the probably the okay amount is 150 grams per day-ish. Um, but in one single green smoothie with, say, blackberries, cacao, um, and spinach and kale, there would be um, about six to 800 milligrams in one smoothie. So, and of course, if you have a, a, those paleo brownies, which are made with almond flour, you often need two cups of almond flour. Well, one cup of almond flour is like 220 grams of oxalates. So it's the fact that we're consuming these foods in a large quantity and the fact that we're eating non-seasonally. So hunter-gatherers could not not eat seasonally. They had no choice. They couldn't get almonds all year round and they certainly couldn't eat well, they wouldn't have been almonds, but they would have been something like almonds, possibly. Um, they wouldn't have been able to eat the quantity you can eat when you buy a bag of almond flour. It would have been just like an insane amount of time spent processing to be able to eat that amount of, of almond ground up. It just would never have happened. And so the fact that we're eating A, non-seasonally, and B, things that have been made in a factory that we would never take the time to make ourselves at home in those quantities and eat in those quantities means that we're intaking vast quantities of plant chemicals that we would never normally intake in the wild. I mean, I'm sure this may be true of all sorts of other plant chemicals, but I haven't looked into them yet. So what do they do, these oxalates? They form crystals, just like an actual crystal, but very tiny. And once you've got past a certain amount that your kidneys are not capable of getting rid of as quick, you know, if you've eaten more than what your kidneys can get rid of, they start to form, they start to deposit. So these crystals deposit in your cartilage, in your fascia, in your muscles, in your eyes, in your lungs, in your joints, in your heart, in your heart, in your blood vessels, in your thyroid, you name it, they deposit there. And then that keeps the blood level fairly low because you, you can't have the blood level too high or your kidneys just start packing up. And it can cause kidney failure. People have died from oxalate poisoning and people have gone into kidney failure from oxalate poisoning. And kidney stones are often caused by too much oxalates as well. But So your body is constantly trying to keep the oxalate level in the blood as at the limit that it can cope with. And so if it rises above that limit we've eaten more than we can cope with then it deposits in all these tissues and causes mechanical problems it actually this is like having sand in your joints and in your heart and your thyroid 
So when you then go on a low oxalate diet, and by the way, carnivore is one example of a low oxalate diet, but anyone, even a vegan or vegetarian can follow a low oxalate vegan or vegetarian diet, or just a standard Australian diet can be low oxalate. You just get the tables of how much oxalate are in foods and you follow a low oxalate diet. So it's not, it's not peculiar to being carnivore, it's just peculiar to being low oxalate. As soon as you stop intaking oxalate in those enormous quantities, your blood levels drop. And after a few days or a week or two weeks of your blood levels being low, your body goes, oh, thank God, now we have a chance to get rid of all these little crystals that are deposited everywhere. And so little by little, it starts dumping these crystals into the bloodstream which then do get dealt with by the liver and um, kidneys etc but that process can cause all sorts of symptoms and that is what I had I think I'm pretty sure and that is what people who go on a low oxalate diet get and everyone who goes on a low oxalate diet gets it whether they come from a vegan background a carnivore background or anywhere in between they get this dumping syndrome. Now, if your oxalate levels weren't all that high or you actually don't have an oxalate problem and your problem is some other cause, then you're not going to get that dumping effect. And the dumping effect happens uh, is cyclically. So you get these symptoms for anything from a day to a week and then you get better and you feel fine and you continue on your low oxalate diet and you get the symptoms again every three weeks or every four weeks or every two weeks and it might just last a day. And that process can go on for anything from a few months to several years because it all depends on how much oxalate you have in your body to get rid of. So that was a very long tangent that I'm still trying to tie up with the um, demode thinking and the polyvagal theory but what came out of that was that one of the factors that's really important in the oxalate situation is thiamine or vitamin b1 and then I listened to a whole bunch of podcasts and talks on B1 and all the symptoms that causes. And each time I've listened, so I listen to the carnivore stuff and, oh, this explains everything, this is the answer. Then I listen to the oxalate talk and, oh, this explains everything, this is the answer. Then I listen to the thiamine stuff and, oh, this explains everything, this is the answer. And then I remember that when I was at medical school and I learned about the thyroid, I went, oh, this explains everything, this is the answer, I must have thyroid problems. Or then I learned about some other disease. And then I also recently discovered the polyvagal theory and I went, oh, that explains everything. That must be the answer. And so I'm finding, ah, so whenever I dive deep into some topic, I think or I feel that that is the answer to everything. I had the same when I read about vitamin K2. I read a whole book on vitamin K2 and it was the answer. (laughs) I'm not Um, telling you this now because I think, oh, well, I'm an idiot. I'm gullible. I always think everything's the answer and I'm hypochondriac. I'm actually telling you this because I think there's something in it. I think that maybe all these things are the answer. And it's not that, oh, vitamin K2 is the correct answer. And if I follow that, that'll work for me. But for this other person, it's actually oxalates. They've got no problem with vitamin K2 but they do need to go on a low oxalate diet or for this other person it's they've got to learn to moderate their um, vagus nerve and their parasympathetic and sympathetic and freeze states. I think that, well, it's, this is where it's half-baked. Um, I'm just curious about how come all these things that I'm discovering and many more that I haven't found yet 
actually do solve problems for people. And everywhere, on every topic, there's a Facebook group or a community or someone who's solved all their problems following this one particular line of thought. And I'm just wondering about that phenomenon. Is it because all those things are really important and they do provide fantastic results, but maybe they provide even better results when you combine two or three of them? Or is it placebo effect? Because as soon as you believe something and you're convinced by something and you really understand or it makes sense to you, you feel that you really understand it, then does it just become effective because you're so persuaded by it? Which would explain why you can have Richard Roll, who is allegedly has been vegan for 20 years and is a top-class athlete and claims to be in perfect health. And then you can have Paul Saladino, who is on a carnivore diet. And I think he's only been on it for a couple of years, but there's people who have been on a carnivore diet for a lot longer than that and who also enjoy perfect health. Is it not because it's not because their diet is giving them the perfect health? It's because their belief in the diet is giving them perfect health. Is that the answer, or is it something else? Is it that actually none of us have got anything wrong with us? We're all perfectly fine as we are, and somehow there's a great satisfaction in discovering a theory or an explanation or a path to follow such as oxalates, thiamine, veganism, carnivore, polyvagal, whatever your choice of thing is? Um, Or is it something in the process of following a path at all? Is it the difference between just living a random life where everything happens to you and living a life where you make certain choices based on your belief? And maybe it doesn't actually matter what your belief is and what your choices are, but just having a belief and making choices is the therapy. So I don't have a conclusion because I haven't got one yet. I just thought that that was a, um, well, for me, it was a pretty, wow, a pretty, um, I don't know, enlightening or curious, well, not enlightening because I don't know the answer, but I'm really fascinated by the process and by what is it that, that what, what is the explanation for I discovered one diet? I mean, when I discovered paleo, that was the answer to everything. And it really was. I mean, my health changed so, so, so much when I changed from eating a standard Australian diet to eliminating all grains and all legumes, although not obsessively. Um, and vegetable oils and increasing my consumption of quality meats and uh, offal and fermented foods and bone broth. I mean, that's all I did. It's not even that dramatic of a change. And yet the changes I had in my health, would I've never, I, I can't even describe how it was chalk and cheese. I was fat. I was depressed. I had no energy. I had to have a nap every day. I didn't take joy or pleasure in anything. My joints hurt. I couldn't sleep. I was constantly anxious. And in three months, I was a different human being. 
I'd lost 11 kilos. I was no longer depressed. I was no longer on antidepressant tablets. I still had some anxiety, but it was like so much better. I had so much more energy. I could laugh and have fun. I mean, I used to do those things, but I was just faking it. Now I could do it for real. I became more lighthearted. I had an optimistic view of the world. And I felt like I had control over my own health. I could choose what to eat and that in my choice I could create a body, a mind, a self that felt good to be alive as opposed to the one that didn't really feel good to be alive. And that was massive. So maybe that's what the key is. Maybe that's what the secret is. It's not necessarily what diet you follow or what choices you make or what habits you choose. Maybe the magic is in making choices, developing habits, deciding what you want and going for it in whatever way you have, in whatever way you read about, whatever way you hear about, whatever way works for you that may be different for everyone. So maybe there isn't some ideal diet, movement pattern, etc., etc. I'm not sure if that's true. I think I think there are things that are more ideal than others. I mean, I don't think anyone would argue that, well, that plutonium is harmful to human health. And if you live next to plutonium, you're probably not going to do as well. Now, if you live next to plutonium and you meditate and move really well and have a great mindset, you're probably going to do a lot better than if you live next to plutonium and you throw your hands up and say, oh my God, life's terrible, I'm going to die. So... I think the answer is going to turn out to be it's a combination of things. It's a combination of factors. But it was a topic that occurred to me and I hope I've made some sense and I would really love to hear other people's views on what I said and this whole issue. Anyway, I'm going to have a great day so I hope you do as well. See ya.